2: and or FM translator. Hello and good morning. Welcome to the program. It is uh, the Michael Luke show and we are ready to rock and roll on this beautiful, <clears throat> cloudy, rainy, foggy Monday. I don't know what it's like where you're at, but that's where it's like. That's what it's like right here. Little cloudy, little froggy, little, uh, little, uh. A little cool this morning. In fact, I'm good. I was going to close the window here in the studio because it's a feel a little bit of coldness coming across the across the old threshold here. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, other than <clears throat> well. Winter is coming. I mean, I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be the Ned Stark of Alaska, but I guess that that's what it means—is that winter is coming, my friends. And uh, you best grab whatever summer is left with both hands and just suck it in tight, because it won't be too long before the white stuff hits, and then you and me, baby, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be knuckling down for another of the uh, of the big winters here. Um, <clears throat> I know it's, uh, so it's hard. I don't, I mean, I hated to be that guy, but I just wanted to be honest with you. Just wanted to be honest with you to let you know, uh, that that's, uh, that's where it's at. Uh, all right. So, uh, what's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what's on the agenda for today? Well, we got some headlines we're going to go through this morning and we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to chit chat about what's going on and then, we're going to um, dive into it in hour two with um, State Senator Rob Myers. State Senator Rob Myers is going to be joining us, and we'll be getting him. Uh, we'll be <clears throat> we'll be getting him. Uh, I guess the 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 head start, the sneak peek at uh, what's going to be coming up in the next session, come this January, and then. I don't know whatever else he wants to uh, whatever else he wants to talk about uh, today. He'll be with us in hour two for what we lovingly call a Myers Monday edition of the Michael Duke Show because uh, alliteration we love it, baby. That's what we're all about. Uh, I could have we could have done Sarah Montalbano and Myers, then it would have been Montalbano Montalbano Myers Monday. But you know that would have been that would have been a little bit too much, a little bit too much. So. Uh let's, uh let's get going, shall we? Don't forget, that, of course, there's different ways for you to participate on the show today. You can, uh, as always, uh, drop me an email, me at michaeldukeshow.com, M-E at michaeldukeshow.com. Dot com if you'd like to uh, send something over the electronic transom and have me uh, have me see it and read it and, uh, and participate today. Uh, the easiest way is probably just to go over to our Facebook page at facebook.com and/ uh, slash Michael Duke show and you can go in there and, and uh, join the chat room, join the live video and uh, chit chat with a bunch of our friends that are out there all ready. And uh, we'll be, uh, and that's that. They're already in there. The six o'clock lovers are already in there doing their thing <clears throat> and uh, making a making a mess, making a mess this morning. Okay, well, let's see what else. Uh, what do we got going on here? What is uh, what is happening across the uh, across the state and across... It's kind of it's kind of weird, but it seems like um, that the. Uh, uh the uh the things that are happening on Maui, the the Hawaiian island of Maui, are uh people are seem like it's like happening in our own backyard. And maybe that's because Maui is, you know, in many ways it is Alaska's um alaska's playground right i mean this is the this is the backyard where many many folks have spent uh, you know many a christmas or a spring break or uh you know probably not during the summer but mostly during the winter months to escape the doldrums they've gone out there and uh they have uh you know spent a lot of time there so this is obviously getting a lot of play in the local papers and uh in the local news because we have a we have a strong connection uh, there. I personally have a strong connection there. I spent uh, um, I spent about a year uh, on Maui or so, year and a half, um, living on Maui, working on a charter boat um, in uh, <clears throat> there. Um, you know, going out to the to the Molokini crater and diving and doing all that kind of stuff for about a year, just over a year, year and a half, something like that. I spent uh, spent that down there right out of. Uh, well, about a year and a half after high school, um, and it was a lovely place, great people. And this, this has just been a horrific time for the folks down there, this perfect confluence of events where they had a small minor wildfire that broke out, and then they had the 80-mile-an-hour winds from a hurricane pass through at the same time. And that's kind of what uh, triggered this whole thing. Uh, now they're saying <clears throat> the death toll in Lahaina uh, has risen to about a hundred people, um, and they've got uh, people now sweeping the ruins and looking through everything. But the place looks like a disaster area, and the I don't know if you've seen the before and after aerial pictures of Lahaina um, there <clears throat> on the uh, west side of the island, which was the major it was the major tourist attraction on Maui. But the before and after pictures are just startling. Um, it looks like you know you see the town in picture one. You see all the buildings and the color for buildings and the banyan tree and everything else. And then in the next picture, all you see is the gray concrete, uh, concrete squares of the slabs of the. I mean, this has been raised to the ground, just absolutely raised to the ground. It um, um, it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. What's going on over there? And right now, um, the uh, there is a team of uh, folks from Anchorage who are over there offering their assistant uh, assistance. Anchorage's Mobile Med- Medics International team is over there on the ground. <clears throat> they uh, deployed to the heart of Hawaii to aid those who have been impacted by the disaster. They're doing medical care in the streets in real time, and they're helping the Hawaii State Department of Health set up local medic centers and uh, to establish a central care point uh, for that west side of the island. There uh, at Lahaina, they arrived on Friday, uh, but were unable to go into Lahaina until uh, Sunday because it's still considered a uh, still considered a hot zone. Um, <clears throat> the organization sent a team of four. Medical professionals from here uh, down in Anchorage it included a doctor, a nurse, a paramedic, and an EMT who all took time off their jobs uh, back here, back home, and are volunteering their time to help organize medicine, equipment, and patient flow. The uh, organization Mobile Medics International is a nonprofit that provides medical care and education to underserved communities and disaster areas. And uh, in Lahaina, they said uh, specifically in the entire state side, the medical infrastructure was completely destroyed. The hospital was evacuated. The clinics were burned down. People were caught unaware and caught in their homes. And so for those reasons, uh, they sent a medical team to help them rebuild their infrastructure and to do emergency patient care for those who were unable to escape the fire. That's probably something that most people don't think about is that, you know, not only did they have to literally evacuate patients out of the hospital. But all the ancillary clinics, or urgent cares, or anything else where they would help take care of this, all that stuff burned down. Um, they, uh, one of the uh, one of the folks there on the ground uh, from uh, Mobile Medics in Anchorage, uh, Linda Gray, uh, Teresa Gray, rather, said that uh, Lahaina was very similar to a war zone. She said they were overwhelmed. They were heartbro- heartbroken, heartbroken. There's still bodies being pulled out of the rubble. There's still bodies being pulled out of the burnt wreckage. So this disaster is not over. We don't even know the total death toll yet. So you can just imagine what it's like being in the middle of that and finding people who've lost everything and don't have the ability to evacuate. Um, and, uh, what a, it's a, oof, man, it's a hot, hot mess, but I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that there's folks out there who are definitely helping out in this. And this is a tough thing for those folks on Maui, um, and our hearts and prayers uh, go out to them. Uh, there is an official GoFundMe for Maui, and Teresa Gray of Mobile Medics also said they have a fundraiser uh, that they've put together to help as well. And that's the uh, uh, that's a GoFundMe up um, right now, and you could find that over at KTUU. They've got the link over there. For folks to check it out and uh see if you want to help out in that regard as well. Um what, what I'm sorry. I was just reading. There's uh there's a whole there's a whole bunch of different stuff that was happening over the weekend. And I'll be honest with you, I did not, I took off uh Friday um and uh and took that three-day weekend, and I did not pick up the I did not surf the uh, the social medias. I did not look at the newspapers. I didn't look at anything for like free or three days, three and a half days. I quit looking on Thursday afternoon, and didn't pick it up until uh, until early this morning. So there's a bevy of things to talk about, but we were uh, we were we were uh, a little overwhelmed here this morning with all the different stuff that's going on. So looking forward to uh, seeing what. Uh, what else we want to talk about as well. And when we bring Rob Myers on, we'll be talking about even more. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue. It is the Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio. We will be back in just a moment with some headlines, including uh, a shootout in uh, downtown. This is just, This flat out shootout in downtown. And a new piece of legislation that might just might be part of the charter of changes. Maybe somebody was listening. We'll have to see what this means. Back with more right after this. Um, and Biden announced he wants to send another 24 billion to Ukraine, nothing for Hawaii. Um, I mean, I know that they've declared it the natural or the, uh, the disaster, which unlocks a lot of federal aid, but I don't know all the details on the rest of that. Let me go, uh, um, let me go back up over here. Um, See what you guys are talking about here. Who is the <laughs> Donna is the winner of the early bird spirit award? But as she points out, it's 10 a.m. where she's at. So while she made it, it's also not, it's um, uh, not as tough. No, I don't want to diminish what she's. I'm glad to see Donna's here. Hello, she's a six o'clock clubber no matter where she's at, no matter what time zone she's working in. She's a six o'clock clever. That's, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> I had a great three day weekend. It was a fantastic three day weekend. Um, and, uh, it was it's a whirlwind, just an absolute whirlwind. That's for sure. And YouTube. <clears throat> yeah. Rob, uh, Rob Myers is over on. he goes and YouTube. Yes. We're on Facebook and on YouTube. It's uh, been a while. Um, been out for a while. David Boyle resulting uh, COVID resulting in terrible sinusitis. Sorry to hear that, my friend. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. One of my employees family is still missing on the island of Maui. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, uh, it's, (laughs) it's crazy. It's crazy. It is, uh, it is a very, very sad situation. Uh, Donna said she went diving at Mullikini. <clears throat> so sad for Maui. Mullikini is an amazing, it's an amazing spot. It is one of the top 10 dive spots in the world. And I got a chance to work there every day as my office. Every day. So, kind of a cool situation. Um, let's see. Lots of uh, video of the fire. Um, yeah, the, the, I saw some video on Thursday that was pretty eye opening. um, of two, two or three people in a car trying to make it out of, uh, trying to make it out of, uh, of a Lahaina proper. And it was, I mean, it was terrifying. This video was like just absolutely terrifying. Um. You know, they said, I mean, they saw bodies on the streets. They saw people laying on the ground on fire. Uh, the, the storm was just right. The firestorm was just raging around them. It is, uh, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy what happened. So I'm, uh, like I said, my, my thoughts and prayers, not that that does a whole lot other than hopefully giving them some comfort are with the folks over there. kind of puts your kind of puts all your own daily um kind of puts all your own daily stuff into perspective, doesn't it? It puts some of your, you know, some of our trials and tribulations, some of our little meager problems just in perspective. It's uh crazy. Um all right. Jerica, Jerica's a little salty about something. She just said, I just had to drive to the mailboxes to get service again. It's really sick of paying for unlimited high speed that doesn't work in my house. Half the time I'm in the middle of the city of Houston. Yeah. We've got some issues with the internet out here. I will, I will tell you that for nothing. We've got some issues. We have issues. We got issues in Fairbanks. We can't connect to the Fairbanks stations, So the Fairbanks folks are all listening to, uh, something else today. Uh, some kind of problem in Fairbanks where they can't connect. So we'll see. uh, We'll see what happens. Uh, But everybody's got issues today. All right, here we go. Jumping back in. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Let's do it. Okay, Welcome back The Michael Duke Show The Monday edition of the Big Radio Program um. <laughs> Sorry I'm getting a, a, a text message this morning We uh, have some challenges uh, Connecting to the uh, stations up in the interior right now They had some kind of power outage and uh so i'm only talking to you people on the peninsula and up in delta this morning the rest of you the rest of the state is just not able to listen to the magnificence that is this show all right well let's get back over to some of the other uh, stories uh that uh, we're talking about this morning including uh this uh well, I don't know if I want to get into this. I'm going to get over here to this one. So, we're talking a little bit um, about. I don't know. Maybe we're making a difference. Maybe the charter of changes is starting to seep in to some of the youngins, some of the uh, some of the new players in the legislature. I don't know. You'll have to, you, I mean, we'll have to decide. The Alaska legislature uh, would vote on conflict of interests under a new proposal. The first, uh, a group of first year members of the Alaska House of Representatives introduced a resolution at the end of the legislative session that would reform the rules for how conflict of interests for lawmakers are addressed, which is. As you recall, number three of the charter of changes is uh, changing the rules, and those three rules include the binding caucus, the Open Meetings Act, and the conflict of interest rules. Those are the three rules that I think need to be changed in this regard. The group known as the Freshman Caucus proposed changing the unanimous voting system required to prevent a legislator with a conflict of interest from voting. Uh, So how it happens right now is basically the somebody would declare, um, you know, they're talking about an issue of, uh, I don't know, oil and gas. And somebody works in some capacity for an oil and gas company. And they said, I have to declare a conflict of interest. Well, all it takes is for somebody to say, I object. And it's become pro forma. Uh, you can listen to one of one of the recordings that really struck me. Uh, this was a couple three years ago, and it was almost a joke. They were almost laughing about the fact that somebody had to object because somebody somebody declared a conflict, and they just ha ha. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it's 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 kind of crazy the way that they treat it. So instead of having a vote on it and deciding whether or not, it's basically they say I have a I have a conflict, and somebody just says I object, and they move on. That's pretty much how it works right now. The new group, under the new proposal, every time a legislator declares they have a conflict of interest on a bill or a resolution, a vote would be held to determine whether they would be required to vote. Currently, the rules state that when a legislator asks not to vote on an issue, they still must vote as long as one legislator objects, as I just said. What prompted this resolution was a discussion within the freshman caucus, said Donna Mears, the Democrat from Anchorage. It came out in conversation that our observance was that the process we now have for conflict of interest is ineffective and ridiculous. Thank you, Donna. I'm glad. I mean, I once I brought it up as an issue, there was a pretty quick consensus. It was something my colleagues would support. A news release by the Freshman Caucus said this system has the appearance of guarding against conflict of interest, but in practice, it does no such thing. Legislative researchers were unable to find a single instance under the current rules in place since 1969. That's as old as me, by the way in which a member was excused from voting due to a conflict of interest. And we can point to, I mean, there's, there's over the years, dozens of instances of people who were, if they were in any other body, any other legislative type body, an assembly, a city council, whatever, who have been recused and had to declare a conflict and had to step out. I myself had to step out of issues um, in the Fairbanks North Star Borough when I was on the Borough Assembly when they were voting on things like tower um, issues for radio towers, because I work in radio. Right? I mean, this is... Um, You know, Natalie Howard, I remember Natalie Howard, her husband works for the oil and gas industry. So on some of those things, she had to recuse herself because her husband had a vested interest. And I mean, this is a common practice. But in the legislature since 1969, nobody has recused themselves or I mean, they may have said they declared it, but nobody has had that happen has been excused from voting due to a conflict of interest since 1969. The resolution was introduced on May the 8th and referred to the House Rules Committee. Um, And then, of course, Craig Johnson, a Republican from Anchorage, said, uh, who is the House Rules Committee chair where this bill is, said he hasn't looked closely at the proposal, but he said that the current system works. He says, I think it's important people know there's a conflict, and declaring it on the floor and putting it on the record is a good thing. But, he, (laughs) but, but. Although Johnson stated he was not familiar with the resolution due to its late introduction, he noted, we're a citizen-led legislature, and I don't think that you can do anything as a citizen legislator if you've got a job that's not going to be involved in some kind of conflict. Okay, this is the BS argument that I've heard about this. For years, we've been talking about it. Well, if we conflicted out everything, we'd never get any real world experience in the legislature. They, you know, they wouldn't, we wouldn't get their input on any of this. If, you know, we can <clears throat> That's why you hire experts. That's why you bring in outside experts to give their opinion. And that's why you have both sides of a discussion come in and talk to you. Right. We're count. Well, it's a citizen legislature. And if they're experts on oil and gas or fishing or timber or whatever the issue is, if they're experts in it, we value that. Great. 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 But that's not what this is. I mean, you have experts come in and talk to you about issues from both sides of the argument all the time. They should not be able to vote on those things, just like they you know, just like no city councilman or assemblyman or or woman or whoever should be able to vote on those kind of things. this is a this is a nonsensical argument, but this is the same argument that's been floated around for years, the one that Craig Johnson is putting forward there. Well, you know, we're a citizen led legislature, and we couldn't do anything if the you know, if you've got a job that's not going to get involved in some court of conflict. This is how it works everywhere. Uh, This is, again, this is the arrogance of the, and I'm not talking about Craig Johnson specifically, but I'm saying this is the overall arrogance of the legislature, that somehow the rules and the laws and the regs that apply to every other elected or appointed body in the state Somehow, just doesn't fly with the legislature because they have some kind of special dispensation from on high that makes them, uh, you know, they, it's, it's just how it is. And that's ridiculous. I mean, assemblies, city councils, planning commissions, all the, they have all. Proceeded ahead. They've all gotten their business done. They've all done the due diligence and done everything else. And they've still had a conflict of interest rule. That has had some teeth and has worked. But all I ever hear out of the powers that be in the legislature, and it seems regardless of who we're talking about or who we're talking with when it comes to the powers that be, be the Democrat or Republican, uh, this is what we hear. Well, it's a it's a citizen led legislator and we you would disqualify huge selections of it to talk about one single issue. That's not to say they couldn't offer insight to people or have but they can't vote on it. Why is that so hard to understand? Donna Mears has a different viewpoint on that same thing. She says, well, right now with a conflict of interest process, when somebody arises to declare a conflict, they don't even finish stating what the conflict is and it doesn't get out of the record once that objections happened. That's the end of the conversation. That's what I'm talking about. There's literally, (laughs) literally, you can hear them laughing where uh, some, and, and I don't even remember where the clip is. I had the clip for a while and I used to play it occasionally. But literally the clip is somebody saying, I need to declare a conflict, and somebody else is like, objection, ha, <laughs> and everybody laughs. Like it's no big deal. No big deal that you're ab- you know, you're kind of abrogating and setting yourselves apart from every other elected body in the state which is the same things they did, same thing they did with the Open Meetings Act, the same thing they're doing with the Binding Caucus rule. I mean, all these rules, it's all for thee and none for me kind of thing. She said, Donna Meir said that at the very least, the resolution would allow conflicts to get out into the open and for the public to know about them. She said so at the very least. What this will do is allow those conflicts to get out into the open and out for the public to know where what these conflicts are. She also said that not only does she hope this will allow the public to understand the conflicts of their legislators, but also help other members of the legislature become more aware of potential conflicts. She said, we don't know what everybody's business is or family business is. And being aware of things, you know, I think is important. Well, yes, I'm. I couldn't agree with Donna more. Couldn't agree with her more on this. So this is going to be coming up uh, at the next session. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I can't think of enough. I mean, why wouldn't we support this kind of ideal? Because it's a Democrat that's proposing it? Hello, people. This is what we're looking for. This is the kind of change we're talking about. I don't care who proposes it. At this point, this is a point in the charter of changes that needs to be tackled. And God love her for trying to put that out there. I mean, again, it's kind of the shock um, that uh, you know, kind of the shock that these folks felt when they were uh, when they were in this process and they saw what happened with the conflict of interest. Uh, If you read between the lines of what they're saying there, she's like, this is it was a little shocking that this is what happens with a conflict of interest. That you're still allowed to vote on it, that you have to declare it, but you don't even get the words out of your mouth all the way before somebody objects and they just move on. I mean, that's a rubber stamp if I've ever heard one. Well, but that's how we've always done it since 1969. We've uh... come on. Come on. I mean, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. You're telling me that they're just not, you know, again, and the chortling, I still hear the chortling in my head from the person who was objecting, but it was just, it was a joke. It was a freaking joke amongst these people that they had to declare a conflict and somebody had to object. And it was just, uh, it was a joke that they're in there, Making decisions that directly affect their industry, whether for good or for ill, whether for benefit or for penalty. But that's—I mean, how crazy is that? That we just—that's just how it's been. So that's how we're just going to leave it. I—I I wonder what I'm going to have to go back and find out. What were the, you know, this has been, this current rules in place since 1969, what were the previous rules? Were the previous rules the same rule set that they have forced upon all the other elected bodies? You know, the assemblies and the city councils and stuff. Are, are those the rules that they were running by and they just decided to, they decided to change them for themselves? or was there some other type of rule that was in place prior to 1969 but the fact that they were unable to find a single instance in which a member was excused from voting due to a conflict since 1969 just really seems odd to me and and part of the problem Part of the problem. Okay. Uh, we got to go. We got to go. We're going to be back here in just a minute. Uh, Rob Myers is going to be our guest um, here at the top of the hour. I just realized that I probably should send him the link to the show so we can get things squared away. That's going to be coming up in just a hot minute. The Michael Duke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio we return with more right after these messages don't go anywhere
0: to by more staffers in Juno than any other show because their bosses told them to and after what they just heard oh man they're gonna be best you're a bad bad man the Michael Duke show
2: okay good morning and good morning uh yeah you uh, the we're not on the air in Fairbanks because uh, they had a there's doing there's some construction outside the studio in Fairbanks in downtown and they cut the power to the building here sometime this weekend or whatever. Anyway, some equipment got uh, fried. The power cycling did something and uh, the unit that I used to connect to the radio station up there is broke. Which we discovered this morning at 15 to 6 when I was trying to connect to it and it wouldn't connect. So, anyway, there you go. Uh, there you go. Okay, good morning. Uh, good morning, good morning. You guys, uh, yes, a Nick Baggage's post. Uh, Jeremy was reading a post on food security. And what was the thing about the Tyrannosaurus? What was that? I saw something about Brian's comment on Tyrannosaurus video on the Tyrannosaurus. Apparently, I missed a bunch of stuff this weekend when I was out of contact. i uh, sorry. I was late watching Brian's Tyrannosaurus video. And then somebody said, that video, the cavitation. I, I t- <laughs> I'm curious now. I got to go back out and figure out what's going on uh, with that one. Um, okay. Um, and in other news, the feds finally admitted their stance on ivermectin was wrong. I didn't see that, but again, I've been out of contact all weekend, so we'll we'll see what uh, we'll see what uh, what's going on there. Um, okay, so Rob should have the attachment now, and, or have the uh, link now. We should all be ready to go here, going into the uh, thing here. All right, let me go back down here. Okay. Um. (laughs) Oh, you're such a ray of sunshine. Den of snakes. Uh, Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, Good morning. Uh, Yes, you're not on the radio. I just told you what's going on. No one is saying they cannot talk about the issue or advise, just not vote on the issue. That's my whole point. They could still offer their points of view. They could still offer that. I mean, again, this is all part of the whole Charter of Changes things. Um, oh, uh, Brian had a moose that walked into his yard this morning and his dogs are ready to go fight it out. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Uh, If you were born in 69, you were, if you were born in 69, you're about to celebrate your 26th, 29th birthday. This is true. This is true. 25th. 25th. Carry the one. 25th, 29th birthday. Right? 25 plus because it's 54 not 55 i need that year back right now (laughs) oh with the conflict of 26 what's 26 plus 29 is 35 right or is 55 right but i'm gonna be 54 All right, I, I can't even. I can't even keep track. Am I 54 now? I I am 54 now. No, it's 23rd. I'm going to be 54. That you're killing me. Oh, I have to count the first time I turned 29. Got it. Wow! Hit me with the maths this early in the morning. Are you kidding me? That's a painful, painful discovery. Uh, David says, with the conflict of interest issue, how many teachers are legislatures and could not vote on education issues? Well, that's a question, isn't it? Uh, I don't know of any of them who are current teachers, but there are some who have been educators for a while, that's for sure. Um And I would not disagree with what Harold said here. Legislators have been voting for their own interests since the first legislature swore on the deck of marked cards. Yes, Donna is the numbers lady. I should never quibble or question what Donna is saying. I should just go, "Uh uh-huh, exactly. That's right, exactly right. I barely graduated high school. Well, I did graduate high school. I was fine, except for the maths. The maths were, sometimes the maths were hard in that regard. Okay, Um, well, we got one final segment here, and uh, we're going to dive into it uh, before we jump uh, over to Rob Myers. And we're going to see what he has to say for the next hour. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio, like and share, like and follow. Let's do it. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show, all Alaska, all the time. It's what we do. Trying to uh, bring you all the news that's fit to print from around the state, give you some commentary and some thoughts. Appreciate you coming in and joining us on this uh, this Monday. Looks like it's getting a little brighter, a little lighter out there. Maybe it'll burn some of this stuff off and we'll have some We'll have some uh, some some beauteous stuff. All right. Let's um, let's get uh, let's get things squared away. Uh, we're pretty much done with that story. I think we're going to try and get Don We were just talking about this new bill that would change the conflict of interest rules. Um, and I think Brian makes my probably my long winded point that I tried to get around to for the longest time. Uh, but Brian just kind of concised it down for us in the chat room, and he said, "No one is saying that they, the legislators who are declaring the conflict of interest, no one's saying they can't talk about the issue or advise, just not vote on the floor." Yeah, I mean, you you could not, you couldn't advocate from the floor, you couldn't vote on the issue, and you couldn't advocate from the floor. That was what the that's what it was, um, when. We had conflict of interest in the assembly is basically when the discussion started, you may have had conversations, you know, um, off the cuff or something behind the scenes. But when when the when the discussion started up on the floor and they were doing a give and take, you took your seat in the audience. You left the podium and went down and sat in the audience and you watched the proceedings. It's not to say somebody couldn't ask you a question beforehand or during the, the whole writing of a bill or an ordinance or whatever, none of that. But you couldn't advocate for it or vote for it on the floor. Nobody's saying you can't talk about the issue. Just, you can't just, just vote on that. Hey, Andy, good morning. Um, All right. uh, So that is, uh, that is a, uh, that is a quite, quite the story. All right, let's move over to a couple other stories that are going on right now and uh that uh, might uh, pique your pique your interest here. I saw the headline on this and I was just like this. I mean, this is madness. The newest form of school discipline. Kicking kids out of class and into virtual learning. Now we d- we did this. <sighs> We did this, but it wasn't a punishment. It was a reward for our children to not do this. But this is going on across the country. Uh, this is over in the Alaska Beacon. You can uh, take a look at this story here, and it's not specifically about Alaska, but it's happening all over the country. Um, it, you know, talking about a girl whose grand, uh, a woman whose granddaughter had gotten into trouble at school. She was in a charter school. And she had a long history of disrupting classes and getting into confrontations with the teachers. And so they sent her home. And they then basically that uh, she had a chance, but she wouldn't go to the classroom and yada, yada, yada. And so what did they do? They basically gave her a iPad and uh, said, there you go. The, you're, you're, you're on your own kind of thing. And all I can think of is this is this is crazy. Um, they, <laughs> this is crazy. They're going to send all these these kids and use it as a punishment when many parents should figure out that this is probably a blessing in disguise. That being able to teach your own children at their own pace Uh, is now again, it's difficult for people who have single, you know, single, um, parent families and it's obviously not for everybody, but that also is another reason why it shouldn't be utilized as a tool for punishment. We saw what happened during the pandemic when there was the remote learning pretty much everywhere. And, you know, we lost a lot of schooling. We lost a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, educational time, a lot of these kids got far, far behind uh, what they would normally uh, have be picking up as far as education. And part of that, I mean, I blame the lion's share of that on the school system itself for not being able to be agile enough to adapt and uh, and, and teach these kids in a remote learning style. Now, it didn't affect me personally because we were still homeschooling our kids just like it was every every other day and many parents discovered the benefits uh, of a homeschooling and a homeschooling system but the fact that right now they're right now they're utilizing um, they're utilizing virtual learning kicking kids out of the school and sending them to you know sending them home with with mom or mom and dad or dad and mom or dad or just one or who grandmother or grandfather whoever and now there that's the punishment i think that that should be well i think that they should they should look at that as a gift instead of a punishment and uh and maybe especially if you've got kids that are dealing with issues in the schools um and especially behavioral issues that may include other kids well there's a there's a benefit for you right there but I just, I saw that and I saw the headlines and I'm like, this is, this is crazy. Uh, they call it long-term out-of-school suspension. And they say it is a last resort, but uh, they, they said that's, that's the way it's going to be from now on. So I guess we've given them a new tool in this regard, given them a new tool to use. Uh, and like I said, you should be embracing some of that stuff. Two environmental groups on Friday asked a federal appeals court to overturn the Biden administration's approval of exports for Alaska's yet unbuilt project that would ship natural gas from the North Slope. The Sierra Club and the Center for Biological Diversity filed a petition with the U.S. Appeals Court for D.C. that seeks to reverse the Department of Energy approval granted in April to a massive project that would send liquefied natural slope gas. To Asian markets. And they said the reason that they filed this lawsuit is, of course, because they want us all to be locked in amber and not to go anywhere or do anything and, you know, definitely not to flourish and succeed. But they said it would unleash too much atmospheric carbon exacerbating climate change. I mean, I would think that you would want to get the rest of the world off burning coal and if we could export gas to fill that need that might be the better thing to do but no apparently they're happy with all the coal that's being used everywhere all the time and you know they just they don't want that to happen According to Aaron Cologne, the senior staff attorney for Earth Justice, which is representing the Center for Biological Diversity, he said the federal government should not be approving this project at this point in the climate crisis. In the climate crisis. The project, of course, is being put together by uh, the AGDC, which is the Alaska Gas Line Development Corp. Um, the most recent estimated cost of the pipeline, it's come down a little bit compared to what it was at one point and I don't know which version this is of it, but I mean it at one point had a45 billion dollar price tag. Now it's only 38 billion dollars and it would require um, um, it would require uh, running 807 miles of pipe from Prudhoe Bay to Tidewater uh, at Nikiski, where it would be liquefied and loaded onto tankers for ocean shipments. The AGDC proposal is the current state-endorsed plan for a pipeline that would transport the North Slope's vast, known, but currently stranded gas. One trillion cubic feet of gas. I mean, it's a lot of gas. It's a lot. Not one trillion. Seventeen trillion. My bad. Seventeen trillion cubic feet of gas. It's a lot of gas. The state and various industry players tried over the past half century to develop some kind of pipeline system to transport the gas. No plan has so far proved to be justified in terms of profitability. Um, But an AGDC representative, however, said that the group's criticism about climate impacts are misguided. The statement said Alaska LNG will reduce carbon emissions by up to 2.3 billion tons during its 30-year authorization and provide compelling benefits to Alaskans and the global climate. I mean, this is, again, 6,000 pages of regulatory analysis and is the most thoroughly examined energy infrastructure project in U.S. history. But it's not enough. <laughs> they just want people to keep burning coal in Asia, apparently. That's the whole thing. I mean, there's a demand for gas, but, you know, hey, we don't we don't need that. We don't want that in our backyard. Let's just, let's just, we'll just export all the ability for all that energy to come from someplace else. It's insane. All right, uh, Myers Monday up next. Rob Myers, our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Okay, I yeah, got, I got. (laughs) Just looking at this, I'm trying to. I'm trying to jump through the mental hoops that a lot of these people are jumping through, right? That a lot of these environmentalists are jumping through. We're in the middle of this climate climate crisis, and we need, you know. Well, but wait, this would stop a lot of the coal burning and everything. But it doesn't matter, you know. I mean, you want it to be developed in a country that has stringent controls on environmental issues, right? Like America. I mean, you want that versus, you know, happening, what's happening in some places like Indonesia and China and other things where they're just basically, you know, what are what environmental regulations? But it's a climate crisis. Who funds the Center for Biodiversity? That should be a Google question, Brian. Who funds the Center for Bio- Biodiversity? That's a, that's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, we should just be skipping right to nuclear power at this point. And I know they're working on that here at the state level, trying to get some of these batteries in to try and test and do some things with. But, yeah. It's crazy. All right, um, let's uh, let's jump over to the uh, let's jump over to the green room here. I think it's time to bring on our friend, State Senator Rob Myers. Good morning, my friend. How are you this morning?
1: Oh, we're doing okay. A little bit tired. I got home about eleven o'clock last night, but other than that, pretty good.
2: Yeah, no, I it's me and you both. I got a lot of sleep this weekend, which is uh, unusual for me. It was good. I mean, I felt felt pretty good about it. Um, and then last night, I laid in bed until I think the last time I looked at the clock, it was two minutes to midnight, and I'm like, "What is going on?" I'm trying to go to sleep here. I got to get up early, but just one of those things where the brain won't shut off. So, uh, uh, but you know, it was a, it was a good weekend. Uh, for me, anyway, I don't know if it was your weekend or not, but it was a it was a good weekend.
1: Um, no, I was at work.
2: Yeah. So how's so how's it been getting back? I mean, you know, after all that time down in Juno, exercising your brain and trying to fit in with all the misfit toys that are you and the other two that are in the corner. Um, I mean, what's it like being back to a regular job and the regular? I mean, has, how's the how's the interim been? It's
1: been it's been busy. Um, we are busting our butts. Uh, up there on the slope. Um, So I've been working for my current company and going to the slope on a regular basis for almost five years now. And this is the busiest I've seen the slope in in five years. Um, You've got uh, Santos with the Pika project. I've been hauling some stuff for that. You got the uh, Conoco with the Willow project, which is getting kicked off. Um, Apparently we're supposed to start doing some stuff with Willow next month. Um, and then Hillcorp is still doing all of their stuff. Um, you know, besides refurbishing wells, like they do have been doing for the last couple of years, um, they're starting to build a liquid, a natural gas liquefaction plant this summer. Um, cause we're supposed to start trucking natural gas from the slope down to Fairbanks here in
2: 2025. So they, so they got a lot of things going on. It's going to be busy. You're going to be running back and forth all day long
1: it's been a very busy haul road yes that's, a lot going on out there
2: well that's good I mean keeping you busy and keeping keeping uh uh you know people going how's you know and this is here's my question as a as a as a professional trucker um is it still an industry that has a huge demand and not enough bodies to fill it
1: it is uh particularly in Alaska um what we saw happen, was after oil tanked in what was that 2015 and then especially in 2020 with it tanking during covid you saw a fair number of guys leave the state and i think a few of them have come back but not a lot and so now it's a case of all right you know trucking in general you've seen guys getting older and retiring and not enough guys coming behind to replace them um And that's a nationwide issue really it's not just alaska uh but then you've had you know people leaving the state you know you've seen some articles in the adn and stuff about about other industries like construction and stuff that are having similar issues and so now that we are having all of this business come back now it's like okay do we have enough bodies to put in seats and you know we're we're managing so far um but i mean things are just getting busier
2: yeah i uh I, I was talking to one of my kids at one point and they and I said, well, you know, they were talking about what, you know, what do we want to do? You know, how do we, you know, after high school What?" and one of them was considering becoming a, a driver. And uh, and and I said, it's a great career. There's a huge demand. You could take that anywhere. You could stay here. You can go down south. You can do whatever. There's plenty, plenty of uh, t- plenty of demand for that. Um, and then they decided, well, it may be too physical for them in the, in the, in the long run and and everything else. But I mean, it can be done. It, it, it is. If, if any of your kids are looking for a good career that has a high demand and you'll never have to worry about being out of work, being a trucker is probably right up there. Right.
1: It is, it is right now. Yeah, definitely. There's There's a lot of work out there.
2: Well, and it's not just, I mean, you say right now, but I mean, this has been a problem. They've been talking about the trucker shortage for over a dozen years, mm-hmm. right? And, and part of that is because, like you said, they're aging out and they're doing all that kind of stuff.
1: So that's kind of, okay, something of a misnomer. I, I think we're finally getting to a point where there actually is a trucker shortage. Um, when they started saying trucker shortage... 10 15 years ago i think some of that was companies complaining that oh um guys don't want to take what we're willing to pay them uh kind of situation all right
2: hold on, because, hold on hold on hold on hold on hold oh, on sure. I, I, we'll come back to this in the break next break the michael duke show common sense radio
0: The Michael Dukes show streaming live across the world,
2: live around the world on that thing we call the internet and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Dukes show. Good morning and welcome to Monday, fun day, Monday. We put the fun in Monday. I mean, even though there's really not, it's not there, but it's here and we're ready to join it. We're ready to go. Uh, diving into it this morning, hour two of the big radio broadcast for what we like to call Myers Monday. Uh, we're talking now with State uh, Senator Rob Myers, who joins us this morning to discuss well whatever we feel like. It's kind of a, a whatever we're gonna we're gonna talk about. It. In fact, Rob and I were just talking about um, his industry that he works in in the private sector, which is trucking and we were talking about uh you know this this the fact that for years over a decade they've been talking about how there's a trucker shortage or going to be a trucker shortage that they could see it coming because of the retirement ages and people aging out of the of the system and everything else, and there not being enough interest from the younger generation, because everybody wants to be TikTok stars and apparently instead of uh, truck drivers. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we were just talking about that during the break, so maybe we'll start off there, and then we can kind of wander into whatever Rob wants to talk about this morning. Um, I've got some questions about the upcoming session, but we'll uh, we'll start there. So Rob, you were saying. Because I was just saying that, hey, we've been talking about this for a long time. You're saying it's still a problem. But you were saying that part of the problem was not necessarily just the fact that people were aging out of the system. But part of the problem was is that trucking companies were complaining that, well, truckers just didn't want to work for what they were paying them, which to me was also a market-driven uh, driven indication that maybe it's because you weren't paying them well enough or something else along that line. So give give us your thoughts on that.
1: Right, right. No, that's definitely the case. Um, you know, I if if you look, you know, you, you hear these you heard these stories for years um, down, especially down in the states. Not so much in Alaska, but, but especially down in the states of, oh, there's a truck driver shortage. You know, we've got people are aging out, not enough people coming in behind them to take over. And there was some truth to that, but um, if you if you actually looked at what happened with the industry as a whole, I mean, it's not like freight wasn't getting to where it needed to be. There there were enough drivers but you looked around and certain companies had a ton of turnover and couldn't hold on to drivers and so that had to do with what were drivers getting paid how are they getting treated you know time off to go home things like this um and and so really i think that that played a lot more into it and so certain companies were like oh we can't hold on to drivers oh there must be a driver shortage well no you're just not paying enough now, since COVID, I think that that has changed. I think there's actually a shortage, um, just like there is in a lot of industries. And um, you know, you're know, you seeing companies that hadn't been scrambling for drivers now are scrambling for drivers. Um, one thing that I was watching uh, over COVID um, that was very interesting to me is that for a long time, driving in Alaska has been something of a premium. You've been able to make 10 to 25% more than you could driving down in the States. Um, especially driving a haul road like I do, um, <clears throat> you know, because of of dealing with weather and and you know far from home and things like this, and so it, it's it was interesting to me though, uh, especially in you know, I'd say about the first half of twenty twenty one was when I noticed it the most. Um, I'd be I, every once in a while I check driver um, hiring pages just to kind of keep a, a gauge on the industry. And I was starting to notice that down in the States, there were places that were starting to offer pay equal or almost equal to what I'm making driving up on the hall road. And that's kind of the point in which I went, oh, we're in trouble. Now, I think that that has shifted shifted back some over the last year or so. Um, I know there's a lot of companies that ha- are around here that have been offering raises. Um, my The company I work for, um, I got a raise back in November. That's the first raise I've had since I've been working there. Um, and I, I've talked to some other guys that have been getting raises around the state as well. So I think that that premium has shifted back, um, and we're, we're back into that range, but yeah, really driver pay driver, how drivers have been treated, um, you know, shoot uh, one, one huge, one you, you don't hear so much around here, but you hear down in the States a lot is just the availability of parking is a huge issue. Where do you park your truck at night? Um, there there's too much too many trucks too much freight moving around and not enough parking spaces and not safe parking spaces anyway so you know you see guys that are you know pulled over and parked on an off ramp and that's you know that's not a spot where you want to be
2: so. <laughs> no that's definitely not especially if you got a truck full of vcr's or something i mean i'm dating myself there you know flat screen TVs <laughs> i guess you got a truck full of flat screen TVs you definitely don't want to be just parked on some random off ramp out there uh, doing it to it. I mean, that's a job that <clears throat> it takes a special breed of cat, I think, to do that kind of that long, lonely on the road by yourself doing your thing. It's a it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a career path for a certain kind of individual. And uh, but again, it can be a lucrative one. And like you said, the demand is still high right now. So folks out there have got kids who are trying to think, what do I oh, want yeah. to do? Ask them if that's the kind of, you know, is that the kind of career that they would want? Cause it's always available. And again, it's a portable skill. You could take it anywhere. It doesn't matter there. You can get hired as long as you don't go work for yellow. Apparently you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> yellow, but yeah, for, that the, one. <laughs> for those of you who are paying attention, yellow is the trucking company that took uh, what? $700 million in, in PPP, PPE grants or whatever. And, uh, and now is going bankrupt because they just couldn't pull it together or whatever. But anyway, yeah. uh it's uh it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. But you know, people don't realize how I read a I read a piece uh here probably 15 years ago that talked about the potential for a trucker shortage in the future and just how fragile the infrastructure was in the United States based on trucking alone. That it wasn't just trains, uh-huh. right? Trains took a part of it and everything else, but that trucking was the backbone of pretty much all of society because a lot of our stuff comes from that area. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, if if you look at, at, you know, what rail does, what, you know, barges do, what trucking does, you know, trucking really does fulfill this huge niche. Number one, um, it's the last mile of almost everything, you know, whether it comes in on a barge or it comes in on the rail you need to get it from that railhead or from from the port to whatever the store is is going to or whatever the factory is is going to and that's going to be on a truck if 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 somebody bought it it came on a truck but um you know that's one side of it the other side of it is if you want speed it's on a truck because if you want to put something on a train you know usually that means all right it's got to containerize it then you gotta take it over the rail yard, then it's gonna get loaded, and then it's gonna go on the train, and then it's gonna get offloaded, and then it's gotta get put on another truck. And so the actual time on the rail might be, let's say, two days to get across the country, uh, where wherever it needs to go, but then you need to add three or four more days on top of that. And <clears throat> that's, you know, and, and then you run into that um, you know, whereas the the truck, you put it on the truck, it goes, and it's there in three days. Um, you know, so so speed is really uh something that that trucking offers as well. Something uh you know you you we you've been talking a lot about um uh, you know your what if wednesday segments and the supply chain stuff over the last few weeks. And uh one thing I want to remind everybody is where trucking fits into some of that as well because um you know most of your groceries, you know your frozen, your dried, your canned stuff like that comes up on the barge out of Seattle, but that barge is 10 days to 2 weeks. You want to talk about fresh produce, fresh milk, things like that, that's coming up on a truck because from Seattle up to Fairbanks or Anchorage is about three days. Um, and so all that stuff that is perishable, you wanna put that on a truck. And um, we had an interesting situation, I think it was in 2014, um, we had a uh, <clears throat> kind of a weird breakup that year. And if you're coming up from uh, from uh, the lower 48 up through Canada up to Alaska, you kind of have, two ways to go for most of it, except for this one little section between Watson Lake and Whitehorse. And because of breakup that year, there was a landslide that blocked that section of road for about 10 days. And if anybody was paying attention back then, you would have noticed the produce shelves at Freddy's and and other places getting pretty bare there. <laughs> got a little um,
2: thin, yeah. Got a little thin and on a little the ground. Thin. And yeah. I was
1: I was do, I was reading an article um right after it opened back up, and so everybody had just been parking in Watson Lake, waiting for the the road to open back up. And they said that when they opened the road up, the Mounties let the trucks go through before they let any of the cars or the RVs or whatever through. And they said it was hundred and seventy trucks moving. Uh, at that point and that's not counting the ones that had already turned around and gone home right so you know that's 170 trucks bringing groceries and and whatever else uh coming up this direction
2: it's kind of crazy when you think about you know what we're so you know how we're so dependent on it and the just-in-time delivery and everything else you're right it's a big topic for what if wednesday because again it it talks about how we have a how we have a complicated it's a simple complicated system, right? It's got a lot of width but not a lot of depth and one little thing right. like that uh, trick you know trips up something and then everybody is hurting for certain. So anyway, it's an interesting thing. um well that's his day job. Uh, you know his alter ego when he slips on the cape and the mask is when he goes on down to Juno. <laughs> And tries to play nice with all the other kitties down there. It doesn't always work out. Um, Rob, the uh this last session, the recap, I guess the recap of the last session is that uh it was probably pretty painful. I mean, right? I mean, this was probably a kind of an exercise in frustration.
1: The last week or two, yeah. Um, up until that point, honestly, it was it was actually very interesting because what you see in the the Senate majority is there's there's actually not a lot of agreement among the Senate majority on what they actually want to accomplish and what they believe in the a lot of the agreement is just that there are certain uh there's we we just don't want to include certain people and so what that means is as you watch throughout the session what it turns into is there's a lot you can you can even standing on the outside like I am, you can see the bickering and and the disagreements and stuff going on internally, and you know it makes life interesting sometimes. Just watching things melt down every once in a while, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, you know, it, about the only thing that I think most of them can agree on is, well, we're just going to cut the dividend in order to fund the budget, you know. But if that's your <laughs> one thing that you agree on. You know, it makes it a lot harder when you start talking about education policy, you start talking about pensions, you start talking about, you know, all of these other large issues that have come up throughout through the session. And, the, you know, there's there's so much disagreement going back and forth just within the majority. Um, and even you can even see it in some of the votes on the floor. There were a few votes on the floor where it was like me and and Mike and Shelly were if it w- if the three of us hadn't been there, there were bills that would not have passed um and uh you know because of, of differences going there between the the two sides so um yeah it's it's very interesting watching those um watch watching those different pieces and uh I, i'm not sure yet how that's going to play out this next year um but you know i'll be keeping my eyes open for it
2: uh rob Myers is our guest state senator from up in the interior district are you district q now
1: I'm Q, yes. District,
2: District Q. Used to be District B, now District Q. Uh we're going to continue with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more and Senator Rob Meyer in just a moment.
0: Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. (laughs) Ha, nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay,
2: Rob Myers, our guest here uh, on the Michael Duke Show as we continue in. um, And, yeah, we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about that. Also. Um, I I want to talk about this uh conflict of interest bill as well. Uh just because it's in the house, but I'm interested to hear what Rob has to say about that. But we'll wait till we return to the radio for that right now. Um so lots of work during the interim, Rob. Not uh trying to get some loads in before you have to go back to the madness. <laughs>
1: I am working my tail off. I'm doing at least two loads a week, occasionally three. Um I'm, act, I'm actually having to turn down a, a few loads here and there because of, of obligations from the Senate job, so I'm losing a little money there too. But um, yeah, actually the big thing lately is we've been doing long pipe. Um, so that's uh, 80 foot pipe sections uh, coming out of flow line here in Fairbanks. And some of that's gone to Hill Corp and some of that's gone to Santos. And uh, it's uh, we, we're doing that once a week and then I usually fit in another load uh, of something somewhere in the weeks, uh on top of that. Um the the long pipe is interesting. This year's the first year I've done that stuff. Um you get that long and you gotta start to, you got to get a pilot car and uh you know you're loading out there with a crane most of the time. Um and uh you know you you got your route very prescribed uh based on your permit and stuff. Um yeah. It, uh, it gets, it gets interesting, uh, doing, doing the long pipe. Yeah. Um, you long, got 80
2: yeah. foot. I mean, what does that make you 120 feet long or something by the time it's all said and done something like that?
1: Right, right around a hundred. Um, cause you kind of, you kind of overhang, uh, the, the front end of the trailer a little bit. Um, actually with some of this long pipe, um, we're not even using trailers. We use what you call a pipe dolly. Basically it looks like the wheels from the back end of a trailer and then a little platform that goes on your fifth wheel and you just spread those out and you put the pipe on top of the two of them and then run some lines underneath the pipe for your, your brakes and your electrical. Um, and so basically the pipe becomes the trailer. Right. Right. Um, and so uh, you do that, or we've been using stretch trailers where the the body of the trailer itself stretches out to about 75 feet. Um, so yeah, you overhang a little bit on front overhang a little bit on the back. And by the time it's all said and done, you're right around a hundred feet uh, by the time you're heading up the road.
2: Yeah, no, I, am- I imagine that makes for some interesting parallel parking. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's just say that there are certain places I don't go in when I've got the, when I've got the long pipe on. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually with the, uh, with the pilot car, um, when you're at least driving through town, uh, what you need that pilot car for is to, is to block the road behind you because you start trying to hang up, uh, uh, go around corners and guys will try to cut inside you. Yeah. Um, you know, so for example, when I make that uh, left turn from the Johansson onto the Steese to head out of town, um, there's two turn lanes there. I take the turn lane on the right to make the left corner. And so got, if I don't have that pilot car, guys will try to cut in inside of me. And if you watch my trailer, I may start in a, in a right-hand lane, but the tail end of my trailer is covering that left-hand lane by the time I get, to almost the end of that corner. So, yeah. um, yeah, we, you, you gotta you, watch it with those things. You put
2: the squeeze on somebody for sure. I mean, that's, you mm-hmm. know, that's to say this vehicle makes wide left turns. You know, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen right there. You, uh-huh. you do uh-huh. not get in there on that. I, w- I learned that early on, that's for sure. Um, but no problem with parking here in Alaska, I'm assuming you could pretty much, once you get up in the, up on the trail up there, they pro- probably have plenty of parking for you up there.
1: No, it's generally not bad. Um, you know, you you got lots of pullouts on a road. Um, you know, they they. I mean, that road is made for trucks basically, um, and so there's there's lots of pullouts up there. You know, not a lot in the way of creature comforts, mind you, but you know, plenty of places to pull over. Um, and ninety five, ninety eight percent of the time, really, I just make it from Fairbanks up to Prudhoe in one shot. You know, I'm pulling over because I got to check my check my load, check my tie downs, you know, things like that. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't sleep on the road very much. I try to sleep in Bruto. All
2: right. Well, let's, uh, I just, I find this fascinating. I love to talk to people about what they do. And it's, it's always interesting to what I imagine versus what actually is happening. So uh, we'll continue this later on, but let's get back into the senatorial stuff. The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Rob Myers is our guest. Like and share, like and follow. Let's do it. Here we go. Welcome back to the uh, program. State Senator Rob Myers is our guest. <laughs> got, I got questions for Rob's. It's all about trucking questions this morning. <laughs> like I said, I just find it fascinating to see how the other half lives, so to speak. Um, uh, you'd think that being an outgoing guy like me, I'd be like, oh, I would never do that job. But sometimes this is a little bit of an appeal. I love to drive. So maybe that's the, you know, give me a good book or a podcast or whatever. And away I go. Um, anyway, let's get back into the uh, into the political aspect of it. Rob, you were just saying that it, up until that last week, everything was kind of okay. But let's talk about that last week. Uh, give me the – I don't think we've really had a, a synopsis or a post-mortem on that. The last week for you is you kind of watched all this madness take place and the Senate do something that has never been done before. Basically, Blackmail or hold over the heads of the house, however you want to put it, you know, if you want to be politically correct, this whole situation. So walk us through that last week. What do you, uh, what, what do you think?
1: You know, it was, it was interesting. Um, you know, so the house passed the budget over third week, of April, something like that, which is about normal. It was a month. Yeah. It was the...
2: April 16th or April 17th, something like that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but you know, that's about normal, uh, legislative timeline, And, you know, usually then the Senate, I mean, the Senate's been working on it by that point. So usually the Senate, you know, hammers it out some more in Senate finance for a week or two, spend a couple of days with it on the floor, you know, pass it back, start doing conference committee, you know, first week of May, something like that, give or take. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we were expecting would happen and then the budget's in finance, the budget's in finance. Oh, they passed the budget out the budget's on the no the budget's not on the floor today no they're not bringing the budget up on the floor today and we don't bring it up until what the i think we finally did our budget amendments on the floor the second to last day of session or something like that um and and you know by that point it's like okay there's it's already an open secret of what they're trying to talk about of what they're they're trying to do and it's just a question of whether or not they're going to be able to pull it off um and so but we don't even vote on the budget to go over to the house until the last day of session, and so it's a question of okay, is the house going to hold together? We're going to see, you know, a long special session of, uh, uh of uh, of a conference committee. You know, I'm I, you know, I'd go home for that. I wouldn't be involved until the last vote on the floor. Um, and instead, I don't know, I don't know how they pulled it off, but they pulled it off with, uh, uh you know. Working some different budget amendments, you know, capital budget mostly, a little bit of operating budget too, but, but some budget amendments that they ran through on the the. Uh, well, there was there was some attempt on the last day of the regular session, and some attempt on that first day of the special session. Which ended up being the only day of special session, um, and that was enough to pull enough votes over to uh, to to go ahead and and uh get us out of there. Um, the last time that we got concurrence without a conference committee was nineteen eighty two. Um, and there was some there there was some confusion and 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 lack of organization back then as well. Um, if if for those uh, a few folks that were around back then will remember that 1981 was when we had the coup in the house where they they flipped the speaker and and the ruling coalition um, in the in the special session in 20. Well, no, it wasn't a special session. They didn't have the limits yet. Uh, in in June of 81. They, they flipped the house. And so apparently there was enough chaos left over from that in 82 that they just went ahead and concurred with the budget and didn't do a conference committee either. But that's, it's the first time that's happened in 40 years. Um, very, very weird situation. Um, you know, and again, you know, me, me being in the super minority, more or less, I could just kind of stand back and watch. There wasn't a whole lot I could do about yeah. it. But, you know, that, yeah, it was, it was a little bit surreal.
2: Well, and, and again, I kept going back after that happened. I kept going back to the fact that, I mean, I wasn't even really that angry about the budget itself um, because we knew that the budget was going to be what the budget was be based on the majorities and everything else. But what killed me was the fact that it was the abuse of the process, that they had basically um, – <clears throat> they had fundamentally changed the entire process uh, to the point of what happens this next session? Does the house do the same thing? Is it, is it, a, is it a commensurate thing where they hold their budget until the Senate releases? The, I mean, is this, does this become the ultimate tug of war and divisiveness there?
1: I don't know. You know, I've talked to three or four guys in the house since then. And, you know, I've heard everybody's got a different theory on what's going to happen this year. And I, I have no idea, you know, holding, the, holding the budget, uh, you know, holding the the operating budget until the Senate passes the capital budget, passing the budgets in the hallways, which has been done before. I think that was a thing back in the nineties, um, you know, or making their own turducken or, you know, who knows, there, there's been four or five different theories floated out there. And um, I I really don't know what's going to happen this year. There's a, a lot of, of personality going on and, it, you know, this is, one of the downsides to being in such a small body is that personality starts to become larger than policy. Right. And you know, some of that, some of that's what, what we're seeing now is is, 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 it's, it's starting to become more personality based than it is policy based.
2: Right. Which uh, I don't know if that ever works out quite right. Uh, In the midst of all that stuff and all that madness, you were able to actually get some work done. Um, We were talking about it last week. I hadn't even heard of this bill. Uh, And because I I guess I really wasn't paying attention to that part of it, um, but you were able to get some work done even though you were in the super minority, specifically SB 119, which is Mm -hmm. a bill that would allow um, uh, people who are being released from prisons, ex-cons, I guess, um, to receive a state ID on their way out the door instead of just getting a piece of paper and having to do, you know, Uh and all this kind of stuff. And this is something that had been worked on, or talked about for years, but it just never gone anywhere. To me, this seemed like a no brainer. I mean, you got, you need an ID to do anything, and apparently they all have their IDs seized when they go to prison, so they all need a new one when they come out, uh, and they can't get it done unless uh, they had to jump through a bunch of hoops. And this seemed like a pretty simplistic thing. So give us the give us the rundown here.
1: Right. Well, as you said, this has been something that's been talked about for a while now. It's been there's been five or six years now where that bill has been introduced by different people and the really it wasn't so much a legislative hurdle as it was an administrative hurdle that they were having issues getting over because all of the previous iterations of the bill had been saying all right department of corrections you're going to talk to the dmv and the dmv is going to issue the thing issue the id and the issue they kept running back and forth on was well the dmv requires certain paperwork to issue an ID, but the Department of Corrections doesn't have the vast majority of that paperwork. You know, the Department of Corrections doesn't have your birth certificate, for example, and and things like this. And so they kept going back and forth on how do we make this work on the paperwork side until finally what happened was this year, um, the Department of Corrections finally said, all right, guys, okay, we don't have the paperwork that you need to verify who this person is. We know who our inmates are. Because we process them when they come in.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, so, I mean, do right. I need, I've got the guy in prison. I know that he, I know he is who he says he is or who we say he is. I mean, come on, there's got to be some common sense in here. I mean, we know this is not like, well, we're, we're not sure if this is John Smith, this must be maybe somebody else. We need a birth right. certificate and a copy of your energy bill to know that you actually resided in the prison. And I mean, this is, it's insanity.
1: I know. So finally, what happened was this year, the Department of Corrections said, we know who our people are. We will verify that. We're going to issue the IDs. I said, we've already got the equipment that you need to do this because they're making their employee IDs. And so they're just going to use the same equipment that they're using to make their employee ID badges to make these state IDs. And it's just going to be I mean, it's going to be the same size as a as a state ID. It's just going to say state of Alaska on it. Gonna have your picture, you know, your your name, birthday, you know, most of the usual stuff on there. Um, it it won't be, uh, it'll like I said, it'll say state of Alaska, so it's just as good as as any other government issued identification. Um, and and really a lot of what it took to get it over the hump was just Department of Corrections saying, forget it, guys, we'll print them, and that's that's really what what broke the logjam. And so we went from, and this is part of the reason it went under the radar. We went from introduction to passing both the Senate and the House in a month and a half. Right. And because, again, everybody's on board with the concept. It was just trying to make the administrative side of it work.
2: Somebody needed to come down and go, dude, people. Come on. I mean, this is insane. I mean, this is, and I know part of that's kind of the whole real ID thing and all this other kind of stuff, but I mean, it's a state ID. It's just, it is what it Uh is. It's an ID. This is, you know, and this is the kind of common sense stuff that uh, I think would go a long way to, you know, if we could get this kind of stuff uh, attached to other bills where it's that kind of commonsensical thing it would, it would help out. I mean, let's face it. The recidivism rate in Alaska is still pretty high. And part of the reason mm-hmm. is, is because life is, is hard for them once they get out to try and they can't get an ID. They can't have a vehicle. They can't get a job. They can't do these things. All of that is, is predicated on being able to prove who you are in the long run.
1: Right. Exactly. You know, if you go look at the, the studies that have been done on this and stuff about, about why people recommit and go back to prison. I mean, yeah, you got a few guys out there that are, you know, we're the hardened criminal types, but they're a pretty small minority of it. You know, most of it is, you know, got it's it's whether or not guys can find housing and whether or not they can find uh, a job. And you get those two things and your chances of committing another crime go down dramatically. And so, you know, and whether or not you got an ID is is, can be a barrier for both of those. So, you know, this is a, Pretty no brainer for me. This is, you know, nice, easy, straightforward, cheap. And uh, let's just let's just get it done and help people reintegrate back into society.
2: I think these are the kind of bills. And as you said, it was unanimous. This bill went through, cruised through both houses with no problem. Um, What else are you working on in the coming? Is there anything else that's quite that smooth and easy? Are you working on other things for the coming session that may be a little more contentious?
1: Well, we don't. Ha- well, we don't quite have anything like quite that smooth just yet. Um, we've got got some uh, some kind of larger bills that we're working on uh, over the interim here that we've submitted to legal. We haven't gotten back yet. Um, let me. I'll just kind of run through a few of them here. Um, one is we're looking at how we do our capital budget in this state, and the problem is that the projects that make it into the capital budget often have less to do with Hey, what's actually going to build the economy or what's going to actually improve safety. And it has more to do with, oh, uh, you know, whose district is it is it in? And you know, that's a that's a horrible way to do things. You know, we've been talking since at least statehood and probably before that we're going to use our capital budget to build our economy. And then you start looking at the actual projects and what they actually accomplish and you realize that very little of it actually gets that direction. So just as an example here in a Fairbanks area, I don't know if this was going on the last time you were up here quite yet or not, but they're currently building a couple of bridges uh, on the Richardson crossing the three mile railroad tracks there. Right. Okay. And I, I, you know, when they started building these things, kind of some alarm bells went off in my head and said that this doesn't look right. You know, so I asked DOT why are you doing it? And they said, Oh, it's a safety issue. And so I, I had my staff go find some paperwork behind it and DOT had done a study a few years ago on this. And they said, yeah, there's some accidents in this area. But it's pretty much everybody, pretty much all of them are just people sliding off the road in the wintertime. So you build a bridge or something like that, it's not going to eliminate any accidents. It's not like we ha- you know, we've had people running into the train or something like this. Right. Um, and so it's like, all right, we have a a a project that we're working on here that's supposed to be for safety, but it's not actually going to eliminate any accidents. Uh, we got a problem here, guys. And so we're trying to come up with a way to actually um come up with kind of some objective scoring for this for the projects so that you can say, all right, this project is a good use of money and it's actually going to build the economy. It's actually going to make things safer or something like that. This project is a waste of money and it's not really going to accomplish what people are saying it's going to accomplish. So that's that's one bill that we're working on. Um, well, <laughs> another I was, one
2: that... I was just going to say that you know that that's a huge deal because again you and I have talked a lot about the disconnect between the public and the private economy and the fact that in a lot of ways they just don't seem to care what's going on with the private economy as long as the government spend is there i mean you say the money's a waste but there's probably plenty of construction companies out there that would go it's not a waste it's not a waste we're getting paid right but it's 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 it is disconnected from the uh from the private economy in that way it's not an economic boon in the long term it may be a short-term gain but it doesn't play out, you know, into the decades of this is a money well spent to help bolster the economy overall.
1: Right. You know, and, and you know, just kind of to to contrast that, you know, on, on the one hand, I looked up that project and to build those those two bridges, one northbound, one southbound uh, is supposed to be about twenty four million dollars. And at the same time, I've got DOT telling me that something on their radar coming up over the next couple of years is some of those small bridges across uh, a bunch of creeks uh, on the richardson highway down in the black rapids summit lake area because they're saying yeah a lot of these bridges are built in the 1950s and they haven't really been touched much since then so they're hitting the end of their lifespan and i'm thinking to myself let's see so we can either build a bridge to let you drive over the tracks when nobody's actually having an issue driving over the tracks or we can build a bridge that would cut the link between Fairbanks and Valdez if the bridge fell apart. Um, I, I, I see. I think I see a, a little problem with priorities here. You're
2: right. There's a disconnect there somewhere. Exactly. Um, all right. We'll hold the line here on uh, the next, uh, the other things that we're going to talk about here. We're going to be back in just a moment. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest, state senator for District Q up in the interior. We're talking about uh, upcoming bills and what the next session may look like. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere.
0: We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on the the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and Michael Okay,
2: Rob Myers is our guest. Uh we are in the break right now, so we'll uh change gears. Um he's not I just saw a picture of the new clover leaf that they're doing at the gate oh. at Fort Wainwright or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um Wow. I mean, it just seems to— I mean oh.
1: I believe it opens today if memory serves it,
2: wow convoluted i mean you got to drive all the way towards the base and then turn around and come back and then i was just like wow i mean they're they're doing some crazy stuff and the roundabouts and everything else and uh and i, I know people losing their minds i was watching facebook last week and i tripped across that whole thing and and it was just like wow there's so many different so many different ideas. Apparently it makes it safer. I guess that's all I could say is that apparently it, uh, it makes it all safer and we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there.
1: Yeah. You know that, that one, I know that's been driving a lot of controversy since they started the construction last year with it. And you know, everybody's saying, well, why didn't you just build an overpass? Why didn't you just build an overpass? Okay. I actually asked DOT that, um, a, a little while ago. And what they told me is it wasn't really even necessarily a money issue. This is a little bit cheaper. Um, but not by a huge amount. Um, the, the real issue with trying to build an overpass there was land area. The, you're you're kind of stuck there because you got the base on the one side, you got the uh, AT&T building and a housing subdivision on the other side. And so they were looking at that and they were saying, we don't know if we have enough land here, even with taking stuff with eminent domain and things like that, to not only put in the bridge itself, which doesn't take a whole lot of land, to put to, to put in all of the on and off ramps that are necessary to uh to go with the bridge to make it all work. And they were gonna have to shut because of the the angle that you need to um to to uh put uh the yeah you can't can't have the bridge being too steep coming up to it. Um they were gonna have to shut down the 10th Avenue intersection. You had uh some of the tour companies were asking them not to do that because 10th Avenue is how you get in and out of the Westmark and a couple of other hotels um and, and some things like this. And they were like, okay, just based on the size of this thing, we're having problems here, and so they were look. They started looking for an alternative back about 2015, 2016, and this is what the traffic engineers came up with. Apparently, um, they said, "Well, the vast majority of the uh, the accidents have to do with left turns, either people turning left when they shouldn't, or people getting rear-ended as they're turning left. So, how do you change that? You separate out the left turns." From the rest of traffic, and that's the design that they came up with.
2: Mm. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> back to the uh, back to the truck driving. People had some questions, and I was trying, how many how many hours does it take? Does a trip does a trip take from you know from a, a yard to Prudhoe and then maybe back? What's it? What's that? What, what what's that look like time wise?
1: So Fairbanks to Prudhoe itself, uh, assuming decent weather and the like, um, you're looking at twelve hours one way. Um right now there's some construction up on the hall road, so that adds a little time into it. You know, come come winter time, of course, there's a lot of you know, you got weather issues and stuff. Right. Um, you know, you're you're chaining up and you know, hey, maybe visibility visibility's down, so you got to go slower. Um, once you get up there, quite often I got to drive out onto the field of ways to go deliver the stuff. So that could add an hour or two. Um, so that's that's about the time that you're looking at. So most of the time it's I get up in the morning, I go load. I drive to Prudhoe, I go to bed, I get up, I unload. Most of the time I will reload and with a backhaul and come and then come back south. So usually it's about a two-day trip.
2: And uh Brian says, uh, what do you do? Do you do podcasts, books on tape? What do you I know you're doing some podcasts because you told me that you've listened to the show <laughs> on podcast later on. Yeah. You're one of those guys that downloads the podcast, but uh is that is that what keeps you company on the way up?
1: I got a lot. I got a lot of podcasts. Um, Actually, this is the first time since I got back from session that I'm actually listening to you live Um, because (laughs) most days at 6 a.m. I am either asleep or dealing with heavy machinery. So no offense, but I'm not listening to the show in those cases. Um, But yeah, I'm always keeping up with your show. Um, I've got another half a dozen podcasts from around the country. I'm listening to um, economics, history, tech, um, things like that. Um, and then I've got this app on my phone called Libby that you connect your uh, library card to, and it gives you access to borrow audiobooks books uh, from the uh, library network here in Alaska. And they've got something like twelve thousand different titles to to listen to. Um, and so I'm I'm going through probably two books a week, give or take, and then fill in the holes with the podcasts and stuff. Um, so it's yeah, I got a, I got a lot to listen to.
2: That's good. Yeah. No, that's when I do a trip, like I came back from Homer yesterday and it was just, you know, six hours of uh, of listening to a good book all the way home. You know, it uh, makes makes it easy, makes it nice. All right. Well, we're going to continue on here. We're going to jump back into it uh, and we will uh, uh, we'll get back into what's going on with the uh, what's going on with the session. The Michael Duke show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty based. Free Thinking Radio. We will return with more here and State Senator Rob Myers right now. Please like and share. Like and follow. Do all the stuff. Here we go. Okay, welcome back. Final segment here this morning. Rob Myers is our guest, uh, state senator from up in the interior, North Pole area there, District Q. And we've been talking about upcoming session. He just filled us in on one of the bills that they're kind of working on right now, how to rejigger the capital budget so that it's uh, more more impactful economically in the future of Alaska. What else are you working on? Uh, What else are you working on there, Rob?
1: Uh, well, if we've got time. I got two more I want to mention. Sure. Um, one is is having to do with uh, something that you and I are both uh, agree is a, a bit of a, a bone of contention is professional licensing. Um, in Alaska, in 2012, there were 92 occupations that needed a license. In 2022, it's only 10 years later, there were 112. We added 20 new licenses that you had to get to get a job. And so that, that, you know, kind of strikes me as, as a problem here. We should be making it easier for people to get a job, not harder. And uh, so we took a look around. And one way that this is being addressed around the country is something called a Sunrise Commission. And basically, it's an independent body. Uh, uh, then there, a lot, there's 15 different states that do this, and they all do it very different ways. So but basically, the concept is you have an independent body that if you want to add a license or expand the scope of a license or significantly change the requirements to get the license uh, through the legislature, then you need to have this body do a study and take in some testimony and actually look at, is this an actual problem or are you just telling stories to make it sound scary so that we can create another license? Um, And they have found that the, the states that do this, by and large, um, they have fewer licenses. The licenses that they do have are easier to get. And so, you know, we're just we're just looking at this as a way to say, let's make it easier to get a job, not harder to get a job.
2: No, I mean, and this makes sense. And <clears throat> it could be something as simple as cutting hair or it could be something as complicated as uh, as EMTs. I know that, you know, uh, I think Bill in the chat room was a former EMT and, and the horror stories of people trying to you know, having to jump through all the hoops. They've already been a a professional medical professional for years at location X somewhere down in the lower 48. And they come up here and it's, 20 months to try and qualify to get, you know, instead of having some kind of portable that's another thing. It's like portability of licenses. If another state right. has a similar system, it should just automatically be able to port over. But instead, we're having to go to the government hat in hand and ask to be able to perform our profession. I mean, that's insane. I, I mean, it, it not only does it stifle innovation, it stifles entrepreneurship, which is the backbone of what we're supposed to be doing here.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to say, okay, if you've got a skill, it should primarily be, you know, up to you and your customers to say, all right, this guy has this skill. He knows what he's doing. And, you know, in, in a few cases, uh, when it's, you know, for example, hard to to verify somebody's skill and experience, then, you know, licensing some, sometimes makes sense. But let's not make more licenses than than we absolutely have to here. And again, let's make it easier for people to get a job.
2: What's the feel on this so far in the uh, uh, I mean, have you as, as have you talked to other legislators about this or has there been other people that have talked about this specifically?
1: I've just floated it around a little bit um, near the end of last session um, with a, with a few folks. And uh, by and large, you know, people seem to at least uh, agree on the concept. Uh, we'll see. We, we Like I said, we've we've got it sent out to legal. We haven't had it come back yet. So we'll see. How people feel on the details once it comes back, um, you know, there, I'm sure there's going to be some haggling, and this is a a large enough thing, you know, you're not going to pass it in a year, but if we could put it forward, get a couple of hearings, um, <clears throat> you know, get get us a, a good jump on the process for for later on, you know, I think this is this is something that could uh, really help people, you know, help help transform the uh, the the job market here in Alaska is is you know let's just let's just change our attitude here from you know what kind of barriers do we need to put into place to how can we make it easier for people to get a job and, and serve their neighbors?
2: Right. Exactly. All right. So that's the one to be looking out for. I'm sure we'll have some discussions on the show on it because as you said, it is a passion project of mine to, to be able to talk with this Cause it, it, <clears throat> to me, it just seems ridiculous that you've got to have a, you know, a sign off from, from uncle sugar and the powers that be to be able to cut mm-hmm. somebody's hair or something. That just seems crazy. Um, what what is the final one that you got uh, you're working on here?
1: So this is another one that I know is a little bit of a a bone of contention for you as well. Um, school bond debt reimbursement.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, no, you you're pushing all the buttons today. All right, go ahead.
1: Right. So um, so we put a, a moratorium in on school bond debt reimbursement back in 2015. Said that we, we're going to keep paying on the debt that that we have, uh, but you can't issue new debt. And expect the state to pay for it, but that moratorium runs out in 2025, so we're we're coming up on it here pretty soon. And so, you know, we've seen we've seen some cases of abuse over the years. So, up here in the Fairbanks area, I think it was about 2010, we used school bond debt reimbursement to finance some new playground equipment. Um, we we were looking around uh, around the state, we found another school district that used school bond debt reimbursement from the state to build a new concession stand for the football field. And you know a couple of cases like this, and we're just kind of going, okay guys, this is a, a little bit crazy here. Um, let's rein it in a little bit. And let's also recognize that that relying on school bond debt reimbursement from the state can really put you in a bind. This has happened at least twice that I'm aware of where the state got into bind fiscally and said, all right, we're not gonna pay on that now uh, because we don't have the money for it. And so that means it goes back to the municipalities, which means that we're raising people's property taxes probably about the same time that the economy is not doing so well either. Right. Um, So maybe that shouldn't be something that should be everybody's first go-to. So what we said is, okay, we want to make sure that these projects are vetted and that we're not using it for too much. So the state already maintains lists called the major maintenance list and the school construction list. And those are, are projects that the different school districts have submitted to the state, basically asking for grants. And the state ranks all of those and so the state has already looked over these projects and said what's a good project what's not and you know a lot of it has to do with health and safety and stuff like that and then some of it just has to do with capacity and so we said well you're already ranking these projects why not just say we're going to use that ranking to decide whether or not we're going to reimburse you uh for, from the state so uh our initial thought was all right we're going to say Uh, that for a district to get reimbursed it has to be on one of those two lists it has to be one of your top two projects unless it is so bad that it's in the top 20 because um, especially rural districts can end up with three or four projects in that top 20 and recognizing that you know usually it's the smaller rural districts that kind of need more help like this we're willing to make a, a you know to open it up a little bit more but at least let's say hey let's Make sure that these projects are something that's already been vetted by the state. We're not just handing out a blank check saying you can reimburse for whatever you want as long as your voters approve.
2: And to me, that makes a lot more sense. And quit selling these things as if it's free money. That's the other thing from the local side. Oh, we'll do these things and we'll tear this school down and build another in its place and it'll be free money and don't worry about it. People don't realize that that free money is not always there. Uh, they forget about the you know when the state gets tight and all of a sudden you don't get the reimbursement and all the property owners are on the hook for that kind of stuff. Uh, they seem to forget about that kind of stuff, and uh, right. it it really it infuriates me to watch that kind of things, especially when you got. I mean, I, the Nordale thing still sticks in my craw because that was the. That, that that was a school we were still paying bond we still had bonded indebtedness on a school that we tore down we still had 10 years worth of bonds in that school we tore it down and built another one and i'm just I think like
1: we did the same thing with Denali elementary up here too yeah it
2: could have been could have been I, I think that was after my time but yeah it's just it's frustrating i mean it's not free money make it work people make what you've got work they've got school buildings down in the lower 48 that are 100 years old you can't tell me after 30 years we need to tear a school down and build a new one except for it's going to put a lot of people to work apparently for a short period of time and put millions of dollars into somebody's pocket. Uh it's frustrating. <laughs> uh last 90 seconds Rob your final thoughts here as we go through coming towards the end of summer and everything else your final thoughts.
1: Well, I'm sure we'll talk again before the session starts. Um you know, just been just been a busy summer so sorry I've been ducking you up to this point. Um but uh you know, just just as we're thinking, you know, kind of some of the the projects that I'm talking about here, um some things that that we're uh looking at you know large large scale with the budget and the dividend and stuff like that you know a lot of the question is is you know who drives this state is it going to be the 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 decision makers down in juno is it going to be we're waiting on input from multinational corporations you know for oil and gas or mining or something like that or really should the state be driven by you and me as individuals and and we should have some power of decision uh about what happens in in our daily lives and that's what builds our state and drives us forward
2: absolutely rob myers thank you so much my friend folks we're out of time brad keithley chris story up tomorrow you're gonna have a great day today be kind love one another live well All right. Anything else uh, there, Rob? I mean, I think we could have spent a whole hour just talking about that, that the the economy should be driven by people and the private Uh side and the entrepreneurship and not by the government. And that seems to be our biggest hang-up here in the state is that we're constantly looking for, or there are people who believe that government is the only verified and real driver of the economy.
1: Right. You know, and and this is you know something that if if, if for folks that have been following me for a while you know when i ran in 2020 i ran on the dividend and and cutting the budget and and things like this and uh you know if you look at what i've been talking about the last i don't know year and a half or so i haven't talked about the dividend a whole lot i talk about it some still but i've been talking about the economy a lot more and that's really because the two of them play together and they really are kind of two different symptoms of the same problem of who drives the state. You know, the dividend is one way that we get the dividend is the way that we get Alaska's resources into the hands of individual Alaskans so that we as individuals can take the small steps that we can take to, to slowly build and drive our economy forward. And if you cut the dividend, what you're saying is that you believe that it's the state the government that drives the economy forward that that makes it where we can make a living you know and one one um one analogy i used a couple of years ago uh in a in a short video i did while i was running the first time is i was talking about the economy like a pyramid you know the bottom layer of your pyramid is natural resources always is and whether that means natural resources from oil and gas or natural resources from farming or fishing or or whatever you know timber mining the whole nine yards that's the bottom layer of your pyramid. Then the question is, all right, how do you go from that to your next layer and your next layer? And in Alaska what we did is we kind of short-circuited that process because your capstone is your government. You're going to have one, it has to be funded and supported by the rest of the economy. But because we have the state owning so many of the natural resources and then it gets first it gets first crack at the at the proceeds from it. That means that you took your capstone and you put it on top of your first layer of your pyramid. Well, how the hell do you build the rest of the pyramid? Right. Once you got the capstone on there. Yeah. And so I'm looking at, at different ways of saying, all right, how do we how do we communicate that truth? Because I think a lot of people kind of understand that in in abstract in the back of their heads, but um, you know, we we need to be able to connect those dots together and to 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 put that together into into a consistent message. Um, And that's one one way that we might actually be able to finally turn this ship. I
2: mean, I agree. To me, it's the whole analogy of the inverted pyramid versus the, uh, you know, the right side up one, because, you know, it's the same way with the United States is that it used to be all the power flowed from all these different states and it would flow down into the government being the, you know, upside down. It would be the capstone at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Everything's flowing. And of course, it's been flipped over now. Uh, In Alaska, it's the other way around, you know, instead of being inverted like it's supposed to be with the natural resources in the economy and all that flowing down to where the government gets their funding. Instead, they're at the top of the heap again, basically dictating where all the monies go and where everything happens. And it's 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 crazy. Like I said, they don't really care. And to them and you could see this from everything from the AEDC luncheon to all these other things where they start talking about this, the only solution they come up with. Is government. That's the only st- the answer to every question is government spending. Uh, government's got to have a program for that. We got to build this. We got to build that. And that is just it's crazy. We could take care of ourselves if we could just get free reign to do what we need to do. And unfortunately, the the stifling of the economy and and the inability to build out whether it's your infrastructure and the capital projects you're talking about or anything else, it all plays into that, and it's horrific.
1: Right. You know, I mean the capital br- the capital budget in particular is, is just a, a really egregious example of all this because, you know, like I said, you know, we've been saying for decades that we're going to use our capital budget to build out our economy. You know, we need to build infrastructure. We're an infrastructure poor state. Okay, all of that is true, but the problem is that we don't have a process set up to actually address that. What we have a process set up to do is to get people to try to put in projects in their district to give a little short-term boost to help them with their re-elections. That that is the process that we have set up. And that leads to very different outcomes. That leads to, we're gonna spend some money that is going to have a short-term impact, but isn't actually going to build out our infrastructure or grow our economy. How do we fix that? Well, we start trying to be a little bit more objective, but really in the long run, the fix here isn't just legislative, the fix isn't an attitude. It's an attitude of, who's in charge around here should the government be the servant or should the government be the master
2: right and that's it that's the big question for every level of government but here in the state of alaska especially it's important because and like you said it's a mindset we've got multi generations now being told in schools and everything else that the answer to every problem is government when it should be looking in the mirror and saying, what can we do? How can we pull it up? How can we how can we find a need and fill a need? How can we start a business to do what needs to be done? It's, uh, it's important stuff. All right, well, Rob Myers, thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. As always, it's good to talk with you. Be safe on the road out there, and thank you for coming on
1: board. Yep, we'll catch you again later, Michael. Have a good one. All right, thanks so much.
2: All right, folks, we are out of time for today. We're going to do our things we're going to uh pull the pull the horns in and we will see you guys tomorrow for more common sense liberty-based free thinking radio the michael duke show have a good uh have a good day my friend we will see you then